0: to Stand Forever, the podcast based on the truth that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Stand Forever originated from the First Baptist Church in Kearney, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. Our teacher is Ken Parker, the church's senior pastor. There's no question the Apostle Paul was a force to be reckoned with. People inside the church recognize he was a key figure in the life of the early church, and what he said, he said with authority from God. Those outside the church wrongly attach negative labels to him because they don't understand biblical inspiration. We'll be learning from the Apostle Paul through his first letter to the Corinthians. The title of the series is, Called to be Saints Together which is what Paul reminds the Corinthian church they were to be. Now for today's teaching, here's Ken.
1: So we're in a series of sermons where we've been walking through one of Paul's letters to the Corinthian Christians, what we refer to as 1 Corinthians. A couple of weeks ago, we started through uh, chapter 12. This morning, we're going to continue in chapter 12. And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me as we read from the Holy Scripture. Called to be saints together, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I will invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Thank you so much. You may be seated. And let's take just a moment or two to sort of cover the real estate that we've covered previously. Two weeks ago when we were in this chapter, we noted three things. We noted the following. First of all, knowledge of Christian spirituality is important. Paul talked about this. He said, I want you to know. I don't want you to be uninformed. Knowledge of Christian spirituality is important. Secondly, God is the one that produces gifts, service, and activities within the life of the believer. God is the originator of all of that. And then thirdly, we said spiritual gifts are for the common good of the people of God. So now we're going to move ahead and talk a bit. We won't get through all of it, but talk a bit about some things from verses 8 through 11. We're not going to get through all of this today because we want to make sure that we give it the adequate time necessary to do what we can in terms of explanation. So you've been warned. uh, We won't. So like if we get 10 more minutes in and you go, man, where are we going? He's not through the first one yet we're not going to get through all of them. My preaching professor, as I've shared with you previously, used to say that every sermon ought to have at least one good point. There ought to be a point to every sermon. So here it is, one point. There are many gifts, but the Spirit who distributes them to believers. There are many gifts, but one Spirit who distributes them to believers. This is based on verses 8 through 11 that we read together just a moment ago. Now let me say a few things just by way of background as we begin to move through and talk about these gifts particularly. First of all, in this text, Paul is going to offer nine examples of spiritual gifts. Now we know that there are other lists that are offered elsewhere throughout the Bible. For example, Romans 12 has a list, Ephesians 4 has a list, as well as 1 Peter chapter 4, there are lists of spiritual gifts. Some of these gifts overlap, but altogether there are some 20 gifts that are mentioned throughout Scripture. There are various groups, you recognize, that seek to divide these gifts differently. So, for example, our Pentecostal friends will speak of what they refer to as supernatural gifts, which they see as the nine ones that are mentioned here in the 1 Corinthians chapter 12 text. But what about the other gifts that might not seem to be quite so mystical? I submit to you that when we read of the other gifts, for example, the gift of teaching or the gift of leadership listed elsewhere, they are in fact just as important, they're just as important as these gifts that are listed here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. How does one distinguish between a natural talent and a gift? I don't think that the Spirit's giftedness is confined to one's natural abilities at all. But neither do I think that spiritual giftedness is only witnessed in ways that seem to be sort of otherworldly, if you will. For example, there are some phenomenal leaders in the world, all throughout history in fact, there have been some phenomenal leaders that were not... Christians, they may be able to communicate well, they can set agendas well with great efficiency, they have people skills that would rival anybody's, they can get groups together and cause them to accomplish a lot of different things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their ability, their leadership ability, is a spiritual gift that would translate to use within the church if they became a Christian. Now, it might, but it might not. It's important to realize that we all have natural abilities and I would say to you we need to use whatever those abilities happen to be for the glory of God and the kingdom of the Lord. These are, given, these are given to us as God's gifts, surely. But we also have spiritual gifts that are given to us post-conversion that we might utilize them in significant ways for the church of Jesus. In either case, we recognize that God... God, as the one who redeems the whole person, as David Pryor notes, God works in a variety of ways to produce many diverse examples of His grace in action in the Christian community. There's something else here, too, that I think is vitally important for our understanding. Look back with me at verse 7 for just a moment. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. As scholars note, I think it's important to mention that it is implicit in the tense of the verb translated is given, that such a gift is not typically or even necessarily a once-for-all-time gift. In other words, there could be a new provision of what's needed for the church at any given time. This might be you utilizing a different gift or someone else utilizing their particular spiritual gift. So your gift of leadership might be used for a certain time in the life of a church. And then it might be that you move elsewhere. You go on somewhere else and your gift of hospitality is then put to use in your new church. And maybe someone else in the church that you left has the gift of helps. And that's what the church needs in the next season of ministry. So it's put to use there. So let's talk about the various gifts. And we're going to deal with one mainly this morning. There is a spiritual gift of wisdom. There is a spiritual gift of wisdom. The Greek language uh, gives us a couple of words, which translated means a word of wisdom or an utterance, as the English Standard Version will say it, an utterance of wisdom. This gift, I believe, is seen in the wise Christian teacher who has learned what it means to properly, first and foremost, fear the Lord. This person is wise in how he behaves as well as how he offers counsel to others. And sometimes this happens that there's a particular needed gift for a specific season in the life of a church or maybe a particular occasion, for example. This gift, the word of wisdom that is offered by God's child to the body of Christ is communicated with clarity. And so it reflects the wisdom of God. It might be that It is used by God to to offer clarity in the midst of a chaotic time in the life of a church. It might offer a different perspective, perhaps, that is needed in that moment in the life of a church. You'll recall that uh, Solomon was confronted by two women, as recorded in the Scripture, both claiming to be the parent of a little baby. Remember what Solomon said. Solomon said, "...divide the living child in two." and give half to the one and half to the other. You know the Bible is filled with some crazy stories, amen? That's a tough one. Cut the baby in half, give one half to this lady, and one half to the other. And, and do you remember what happened? The woman whose son it was said, Oh, my Lord, give her, that is the other woman, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death, 1 Kings chapter 3, and Solomon knew who the child's real mother was because of that response. Now, I realize this is an Old Testament example, but it is wisdom nonetheless, and I believe a word of wisdom as well. In fact, the narrative closes this section by saying they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him. In other words, Solomon had the wisdom from God in order to deal with this in the way that he did. On a much less dramatic scale, I can remember a time when I served a church as an associate pastor and our senior pastor was asked to leave and he was dismissed for a conduct issue. And there was debate and there was lots of division, there was lots of hurt feeling about the amount of compensation that he should be given under the circumstances. And things got very heated. And one of the men in our church in the midst of a meeting where this was to be decided one of our men stood to speak. Now remember, the sticking point was over a few thousand dollars. And he said, as he stood to speak, he said very wisely, it seems to me that we're very divided about this. And this has potential to bring great harm to our church. Some of us think this is too much. Some of us think it's not quite enough. My question is, as he continued, is the church's unity worth this amount of money? Is the church's unity worth this amount of money? And then he said, I believe it is. I think we should pay this, and then we will no longer be obligated to him, and we can move forward and begin the process of healing as a church. And the people agreed, and they didn't split The church spent a few thousand dollars, but the people agreed with the wisdom that this was the way out of the quagmire in which they had found themselves. I think that was a real turning point, in fact, in the life of that church. And while I'm not the Holy Spirit, I think that was, in fact, an utterance or a word of wisdom that was given by that man that night. The church was held together and the church moved forward. I also want to be clear in saying, I believe it's a basic truism that a believer who is walking with Jesus, one who is growing in faith, yielding to the Spirit's leadership in his or her life, is capable of and in fact ought to, from time to time, be used to speak a word of wisdom to other believers. Of course, we know the greatest example of words of wisdom comes from Jesus himself. How often I have read from the New Testament those words of Jesus, and I have so often thought about how piercing his words are, how comforting his words are, how convicting his words are, how soothing and wise are his words. I love the fact that even as a man, and we recognize Jesus is fully God and fully man, And I take great comfort in the fact that even as a man, Jesus was not a master, but rather the master of rhetoric. I love to read the words of Jesus as he engages people who are trying to sort of back him into a corner. For example, how many times do we read a text and think, "Uh uh-oh, looks like they've got him, only to read Jesus' response and realize that he so eloquently has turned the tables, Sometimes turned the tables over. It's important to note as well that the tense of the verb, also in verse 8, is given, indicates that this is not a gift necessarily given for permanent possession to one particular Christian. Now, it could mean that, but more likely it means that God meets the needs of a particular situation by giving one member of the body that gift for that particular season in ministry. Now, here's what I want you to be reminded of as well. These gifts are God's grace. These are gifts. We don't deserve them. We don't earn them. They are God's grace. They're not given because of worthiness, and they're certainly not given because of maturity. So a word of wisdom might, in fact, come from an older, what we would typically hope to be, wiser believer. But it might also come from a younger, newer believer whom God chooses to utilize in a particular given situation. So God uses both, and I've seen both, and I hope that you have too. God might use one in one situation, and he might use another in another situation. That is the beauty of God's gifting. It's also important that we realize, again, that the gifts are for the purpose of building up others, building up, edifying the body of Christ. What God does with the gift is what's most important. I'm going to say it again. What God does with the gift is what's most important. That mentality keeps us from thinking our giftedness or we ourselves are what's really important. All throughout church history, there have been watershed moments historical turning points, in fact, when things happened of such magnitude that I am certain that people thought that the church universal would never be the same. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be following Jesus physically while He was here on the earth? And, and the disciples are following Jesus and He teaches and He preaches and He draws large crowds and He performs miracles and the next thing you know, He's dying on a cross. And they had to wonder, Because we recognize from Scripture even the conversations Christ had with His followers about that, they didn't get it all. They had to wonder what in the world is happening. We we thought He was the one. Can you imagine in the years of the early church being alive when the apostle Paul died for his faith? No doubt some Christians thought, man, if Paul can't get out of here alive, we're in real trouble. This is it. It's over. Never mind, this whole thing started with our leader dying, but we know he came back, but Paul didn't, not, not here anyway. And yet Paul has been gone for some 1,900 plus years, and the church marches on. When John Chrysostom, the early church father, who in A.D. 407 died, no doubt some thought it was over. He was so brilliant and wise and articulate and when he left there were christians that thought this is it things will never be okay again fast forward to the golden age of the puritans when richard baxter the great pastor and church leader died in 1691 no question some would have thought this is it The church will never bounce back from this kind of loss. When the Prince of Preachers, the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the golden-throated orator of Victorian England and pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, the most famous of all Baptist preachers, when he died in 1892, there's no question there was a darkness that covered many in the church, and they thought, will we ever be powerful again? When D.L. Moody... A contemporary of the great Spurgeon died in 1899. Some thought that evangelism would never be revived. And yet somebody led you to Christ, right? When Adrian Rogers, the hero of our own denomination, died in 2005, there's no doubt some people thought that conservative evangelicalism would be finished. Make no mistake, all of these men made a contribution. In fact, they made a great contribution. But they each died. They each died, and the church lives on. The ministry of the gospel lives on. The Word of God continues to accomplish exactly what God the Father desires that it would accomplish. Never make the mistake of confusing the importance of the message and the importance of the messenger. God has always had a people, and God will always have a people. We're just fortunate to live at this time in history. We are privileged to be part of His people the point God gives gifts to children for use in his glory that's life in the body of Christ God gifts people differently and aren't you grateful for that aren't you grateful that there are people that are gifted in ways that you're not and that you're gifted in ways other people are not as I was putting this together thinking about our calling of Chloe to serve in children's ministry I was thinking how grateful I am for her giftedness I'm grateful that she's gifted. I'm grateful she's going to be here. I became a pastor, so I wouldn't have to work with kids. (laughs) That is a joke, in case you're one. I mean, kind of. But I'm grateful for how God uses people. Sometimes God uses a gift to make up for a deficiency that we might have in a particular area. And God does all that in the life of the church to bring it together, and if we yield ourselves to him, to make it effective and faithful. Gary Inrig, in his work, Life in His Body, shares a story of two students who graduated from the Chicago-Kent College of Law. The highest-ranking student in the class was a blind man by the name of Overton. And when he received his honor, he insisted that half the credit should go to his friend Kasprzak, They had met one another in school when the armless Mr. Kasperzak had guided the blind Mr. Overton down a flight of stairs. That's how they met. This acquaintance ripened into friendship and a beautiful example of interdependence. The blind man carried the books which the armless man read aloud in their common study. And thus the individual deficiency of each was compensated for by the other. That is, at some level, a beautiful picture of the interdependence we share with one another in our efforts to serve the church of the Lord Jesus.
0: You've been listening to Stand Forever with Ken Parker. Thank you for taking the time to join us. If you'd like to correspond with us, feel free to email from the contact information found on our church website, www.carneyfbc.com, or write to us at Stand Forever, 303 South Grove Street, Kearney, Missouri, 64060.